talking about beat-ups, a pinch and a punch for the first of the month, Colin. Oh, oh a bit like Judith Collins, who pulling, <laughs> no, pull no punches, title of her book. <laughs> Although the critics say she did. Maybe we will talk about that later. A, a flick and a kick, is that what you say back? Yeah, I think I think so, yeah. I'm, I'm regressing to my school days now. But weirdly, uh, watching, I think, TV2 before I came down tonight... Um, they had that in their little promo when they tell you what shows are coming up tonight in that soothing voice. And the uh, announcers went straight into pinch and a punch for the first of the month. And I really? Said, yeah. yeah I thought, Must be on everybody's mind. I don't think I've heard that for years. No, no. It, I, I, it's a school ground thing. And, you know, maybe you thought, oh, am I the right demographic for TV too? That'd be cool. <laughs> but it's assault, of course. It is, it is, yes, and we shouldn't take these things lightly, should we? We really should not. No. Let's get on to serious matters. Paula Bennett. Yeah, well, yeah, indeed. Well, yeah, a serious career. She was Deputy Prime Minister, but kind of extraordinary, I think, the way her announcement this week that she was quitting politics played out in the media. Pretty stage-managed, I think. You know, she called the press conference, everybody came. Um, but bizarrely, the first to know was the comedian Tom Sainsbury, who's, um, you know, became famous doing those little Snapchat videos of her and Simon Bridges and others, but those were two that that really cut through. And, uh, yeah, apparently she told Tom Sainsbury that before she told Todd Muller and other people who you'd think would want to know that she was um, stepping down from politics. And partly that was part of the stage management because um, she appeared in another one of his um, satirical videos where he impersonates her. And, uh, yeah, so her playing along with that, um, it actually led News Hub at Six's report on Monday. It may not look it, but these moves constitute one of the most epic political power moves. Paula Bennett dancing her way out of politics with a comedian who cut his chops impersonating her. Here I am, just chillaxing in my kimono. The boogie, an overt endorsement at the end of a skit with an overt message. Sayonara, Todd. Big F you. No, I'm, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> that was Tom, I assume. Yeah, that was Tom impersonating Paula Bennett. But I think that would have actually been pretty confusing for people that watch the six o'clock news, you know, on old fashioned TV, but don't interact so much with the internet and social media. You might not know who Tom Sainsbury or those those Snapchat videos are. You might be a bit, a bit confused by having seen that. But to me, it's amazing that she would latch onto this so much in order to... I mean, it's part of her political personality, that relatable aspect of herself, um, that she would, you know, really adopt the mockery. Because, I mean, the, the images from that video... She did say she wanted to leave politics with dignity, um, but... I don't know, there's a whole lot of dignity in, in that, like playing that stuff up for laughs. So I think if you told someone from overseas that was our Deputy Prime Minister not that long ago, they'd be pretty surprised. But, you know, the media loved it. Well, you say relatable, but perhaps it's the opposite, and that's why she wanted to cosy up to Tom. Well, maybe, but, I mean, I think that, that thing of her her difference, her political difference, the clothes, the manner, the Westie stuff, that was very calculated. I mean, you know, people say she had the sense of fun. I mean, for example, um, Jason Walsh from The Herald said on Twitter, um, say what you like about Paula Bennett, but she's an absolute champ for playing along with Tom Sainsbury's videos for so long. He, he might have been being ironic there, I don't know, but you know, a champ to play along. I mean, she, she was exploiting that because it gave her profile. It was a political asset, her personality. And when people say she had this great sense of fun and it's part of her personality, I see that as, you know, as deeply Machiavellian as any, you know, political uh, spin. Um, that that was her 
wanting exposure, and it wasn't it wasn't out of a sense of fun. And actually, it did remind me of a story uh, Jeremy Rose did for Media Watch. Uh, this is, I think, four years ago now. Um, RNZ's Insight program had been chasing Paula Bennett when she was um, the social housing minister for a serious interview about a serious program on homelessness. It was the time when there was a lot of concern about growing numbers of people living in cars, especially around Auckland. They tried for days and days to get her to participate in this program because, you know, Insight, serious documentary. And she was told constantly every day, sorry, she's just too busy, just too busy. And then an Official Information Act request for a completely different matter um, revealed that on the same day, on the Friday, when they were putting the program together, the last chance to be on it, uh, she did at the very last minute give a, a quick phone interview to Insight, which wasn't all that satisfactory. But on the same day, uh, the people doing the, the forerunner to the project, it was called The Story Show, uh, they got in touch saying, hey, how's Paula's schedule this Friday night? And her press officer says, hey, we'll come straight back to you. Who's hosting? Who else have you got on? And they reply, oh, Duncan Garner's the host, Kim Vanell's on the panel, and straight away, she's in. Um, that would have taken up her whole Friday evening, and she was ended up talking about, uh, amongst other things, whether KFC-flavoured perfume would be a winner, and whether she'd let her kids eat the heart of a freshly shot deer. So, you know, she, she loved the opportunity to be on the screen and to push her personality. Um, but I, I, th- I find it amazing that she took that all the way up to uh, her announcement that she was leaving politics. She has some fans, though, Colin. Yeah, yeah. Well, she did this interview with Mike Hosking that was really interesting because, I mean, maybe on the day you quit, it is going to be not too deep and meaningful, but... All the questions and answers were about her, and she was saying, for example, so I'm quitting because <laughs> and, and well, and him, yeah. But she was saying, I'm, I'm quitting because I'm never going to have the amount of success I've had before. And I guess she means, you know, I've, I guess I've hit the top in politics, and I won't be back in the position I was at deputy prime minister, and it's all downhill from here. But um, she said, look, the most important thing to me was serving New Zealanders. And in the very next breath, she said, look, I definitely don't want to be back in government. I wouldn't, don't want to do that anymore. I said, well, that's serving. I, I, I find it odd. And Mike Hosking is a fan, though, and he loved the aspect of her that was her ability to, to, to get profile. And he said, look, Paula, that will serve you well. And after he farewelled her, he, um, he actually just said this to his listeners. Paula Bennett, one of the better ones, 15 years, 2005. She was right. We met, uh, we met at a photo shoot. I think that's what she was referring to for uh, for Metro magazine, and we were. Um, it sounds so embarrassing to say we were up and comers, and we up and came, and there we are. I went looking for the. It was a very good cover shoot. Yeah, so cover shoots, um, all these exposure opportunities just seems to feature so heavily. And uh, Mike Hosking went on to say everyone else on that cover, you know, who was described as up and coming back in the day, none of them made it. I can't even remember who they are, but us two, me and Paula. We, and I'm thinking, if you're like. Anne Tolly, for example, who's also leaving, um, she didn't become deputy prime minister, but you know, someone of half the minister, you know, took part in the government. No one seems very interested in what she's got to say, and you know, but she wasn't someone who pushed her personality and um, in, in the same sort of way. And I, th- you know, we could learn probably just as much about the way power is exercised and what was really going on in the National Party, all those sorts of interesting things. But the media seemed much less interested um, in her. So I think um, one good piece by Thomas Munch in uh, the Stuff. 
papers, a good profile of her, Paula Bennett's life and times that did go into some of the more substantial things about her career, the things that were done wrong as well, um, as just the, um, the sort of surface stuff. But I haven't seen too many others, and hopefully there will be before she leaves the scene completely. Let's get on to politicians with complicated relationships with the media part two. <laughs> I, I was asked to go to a book launch this coming Monday night, but unfortunately I'm working. Oh, a Judith Collins book launch? That's the one. Uh, I think the book is out today, or so I believe. But yeah, it certainly it was out in advance and the whole media playbook came into play. So maybe if we want to find out this, the substance of Paula Bennett, it might be when she writes a book. But based on this one, possibly not. Um, yeah, it's called Pull No Punches, but um, the... the the media were sold this notion of a book that publishers had been fighting over the the story that went out was that she told Duncan Gahana she was going to write a book and that it would be quite tell all and publishers got very interested and formed an orderly queue to try and get the rights to publish it but um you know, the, the theory is uh, among some political writers that this would be something that would be published just at the right time to aid her and her bid to you know, and perhaps become the party leader going into an election. And of course it hasn't worked out that way and the whole thing's a bit of a damp squib, but the publicity was certainly lined up. The Star Times had an extract and an interview uh, last weekend. Um, the NBR ran uh, the chapter about the Oravida scandal, which was actually pretty interesting, and had a full half-hour video interview uh, with Dita Deboni, uh, interviewing her about a whole range of stuff, um, which was interesting. But um, actually, there's one part of that also just about the media, which struck me as kind of unusual, because Dita asked her a whole lot of things, not not necessarily um, about what was in the book. And she asked her this question about, what's your style in a crisis, or what was it when you were a minister? And uh, Judith Collins sort of volunteered the situation of... Um, a police officer who'd been shot, which is actually something that happened when she was prime minister, uh, sorry, police minister. Um, and I think 2009, Constable Leonard Snee was shot by Len Molina in that horrible siege in, I think, Napier. And this is how she said she would have handled it. But I would still be in there. So I'd be in to see the family if, for a police officer who's been killed. Um, I'd be in with the um, their colleagues I'd be in seeing the officer in hospital. I'd go to their homes in some cases. I did all of that because, and I never took a camera with me. Because I think as soon as you take the camera, you lose the ability to, you know, you lose any point, you're just using people. Oops. Yeah. I mean, is it just me or is that quite an odd thing to say? Um because I wouldn't take a camera with me. Well, you wouldn't. I mean, is she meaning that I won't allow the media to follow me into any meeting I would have with the grieving family of a a dead policeman? Uh, To me, it's just interesting that she would say that. Um, It it just reveals... The camera's being used for your own benefit. Well, maybe. Or does she mean the media's cameras? What she's saying is, I I wouldn't do any of that. No publicity, no... It'd just be a private thing. And I mean, of course it would be if you're the police minister or someone in authority going to see someone who's the family of someone who's been killed in the line of duty. But maybe that's just how much they have to actually think about the media exposure or, you know, things being recorded. I I don't know. I just found that... I just found that very odd. But in calling the book... um, Pulling no punches, I think she made a bit of a hostage to fortune. Oh, sorry, pull no punches is the title. Uh, the spin-off, uh, Toby Manhire, his review, he simply said, pull no punches, pulls its punches, which is pretty blunt. Uh, he said a lot more besides. And um, Dita Deboni, in her written piece with the NBR, 
said uh, Colin's book is called Pull No Punches, but in some ways it does precisely that. So, yeah, some of the critics um, not too impressed. And Steve Braunius uh, for newsroom.co.nz called it half alive and said it reads like she dictated it. Uh, the voice is distant and toneless, he said. Um, and he did a good piece of fact-checking, uh, which I really appreciated, because in her Sunday Star Times interview with Andrea Vance, Judith Collins griped uh, that after Dirty Politics came out, which kind of led to her downfall as a minister and, and John Key throwing her under the bus, as she put it. She said, oh, I only got about six pages in Nicky Hager's Dirty Politics, but John Key and his office, they got chapters. You know, this, is, this was unfair and she was a victim. And Steve Braunius fact-checked it and said, uh, actually, she got 10 pages and an entire chapter. Her name features in the book's index as heavily as other goons and operatives implicated in dirty politics. Jason E., David Farah, Jordan Williams, etc. And, you know, to my mind, that is actually pretty damning. If, if, the, if the author is writing a book, you know, a thing of record, and can't even either get that fact right or is trying to minimise that, then, you know, I think that's pretty lame. And uh, she had the whole line of being a victim and John Key chucking her under the bus. That was the major thing that came out in the Sunday Star Times. And on the Q&A show in her interview on Sunday, uh, she said she was deeply hurt when um, John Key stripped her of the title of Honourable, which I didn't actually realise had happened, but that, that really hurt her. It was very disrespectful. And she, she had this sort of weird puzzling response in the interview. Why did he need to do that? Well, I don't think he did need to do that. And, Why um, did he do it then? Well, I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I mean, at a later stage, I didn't put it in the book because you know it's, no one else was there at the time, um, but at a later stage, he said to me at, a, at um, something we're at, he said, oh, yeah, sorry about that. That was a bit, you know, he said something like, oh, that, that was just bullshit or something like that, is, uh, his words. It wasn't that puzzling if you remember what happened. Yeah, but it's weird that she would make a big deal out of John Key threw me under the bus. Of all things she could have said, so the critics are very disappointed. The Herald wrote pieces in advance, the gossip guy, Ricardo Simic, saying, this book's going to drop bombs, he's really going to go off, and it's 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 going to be explosive. And it just didn't happen. And you know, that was this big line, that you know, how, how hurt she was about the way she was treated by John Key. Um yeah. And she not, was pretty, she was very hurt. She took a week off work from memory. I know, I know. But my point there very is, cut if, up. if she says, you know, and then later John Key kind of mumbled, "Oh, sorry, yeah, that was a bit bullshit. I shouldn't have done that." And she's and I didn't put that in the book because there was no one around. I mean, if that's what she's literally saying, I, why would you not put that in your book if you're making a big deal of how unfairly you were treated and and you want to make a point about John Key's handling and throw it out into the open? I mean, John Key is still a public figure, right? He's in business. He sits on boards, um, still said to hold sway in the National Party, depending on um, you know whose accounts you believe, turns up at party conferences. So you know, if, if, if he really did do something reprehensible and then later kind of half make a half-assed apology about it, and she's now saying it on television and not putting it in a book that's supposed to be you know, all the things that Judith Collins was going to open up about, I find that very weird. If I was the publisher, I'd be um, disappointed. That book launches this coming Monday, by the way. Oh, this coming Monday? Okay, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I, th- I think the book might be out in the stores today. So having said that, you know, they played the publicity game and the media fell into line, I suppose I just did that bit of that myself. Politicians with complicated relationships with the media, part three, Dr. Jen Yang. <laughs> yes, now this is interesting. So 
also on that same Q&A show that Judith Collins was very happy to go on to uh, talk about her book and her grievances about John Key. Um, there was another national MP who they wanted on the show who clearly wasn't happy to be on there, Dr. Jan Yang. So he's the guy, remember, who uh, became newsworthy in 2017. He'd already done a couple of terms as a list MP for national uh, Auckland-based, but it was revealed in 2017 that he'd worked for Chinese military intelligence and he'd helped train... Um, what's been described as spies or agents in, a, in a, a special training school. And this came out when the Financial Times Hong Kong correspondent Jamal Andalini wrote about it and Newsroom coordinated the story, the, the New Zealand end of the story. So quite a, quite a scoop, which led to a lot of difficult questions, which, um, which only died down for him after a while. Now, when the National Party list came out recently, he'd been bumped up a few places. So this controversy doesn't seem to have dented him at all. But the questions remain about whether he's got loyalties to China as well as to and the Chinese Communist Party as well as national. Um, back in January, he organised a visit for Simon Bridges to or part of it to Beijing, where Bridges met Chinese Communist Party officials, including a guy who's described as the head of China's secret police, and he wouldn't answer questions about that either. Um, so, yeah, for Q&A, Fenna Owen uh, described how she has spent two years trying to uh, get him to go um, on, on air, and um, she had another go at getting him on the record for Q&A. So I wrote back asking if that was a no for now or indefinitely. Dear Fenna, that would be the latter. Then in mid-May, I wrote to Dr Young's office again, asking if he'd reconsidered. Thanks for email. Dr Young declines the request. Other journalists also wanted to talk to the invisible MP. Dr Zhen Yang, MP, who was in a room just a few metres away, simply refused to come out. Okay. So he just he just <laughs> won't talk. I mean, it's extraordinary. And Judith Collins, because she was on the Q&A show, was asked, shouldn't this guy front? He's paid by the taxpayer. He will only talk to Chinese language media. And she said, oh, look, he doesn't have to talk to media if he doesn't want to. He's not a minister. Um, and uh, she said, he's only ever been loyal to New Zealand and the National Party so far as I know, which I thought was kind of unusual because Judith Collins herself got in a lot of trouble over the Oravida thing for having, uh, you know, divided loyalties with her husband's uh, business in China. So, yeah, kind of an ironic defence coming from her uh, because he wouldn't go on the show and she was the one who ended up in the hot seat on him. Unlucky. OK, Colin, we've got a few more minutes to squeeze Winston Peters in. Politicians with complicated relationships with the media, part four. Yeah, well, probably not, not as much to squeeze in with this one, but fascinating. He uh, went on the warpath uh, over uh, News Hub and their investigations reporter, Michael Mora, who's been doing a series on uh, fishing in New Zealand waters and um, in this this complicated story where a leaked recording came out which seems to show Stuart Nash saying look I'm going to have to push through the reform for cameras on fishing boats because of nefarious practices going unrecorded and dumping and so on Uh, but I'm going to have to do it in a public way so that Shane Jones and Winston Peters can't knock it down because they don't want this and um, so Michael Morrow confronted Winston Peters about this and uh, Winston Peters was very cross, but he, here's how they actually reported the story on News Hub at 6. Kia ora, good evening. You're about to hear an audio recording of the Fisheries Minister talking about Winston Peters and Shane Jones. In it, Stuart Nash points the finger of blame squarely at them for delaying plans to put cameras on commercial fishing boats to make sure they don't break the law. And New Zealand First Leader has exploded. 
So he didn't actually explode, but he was pretty cross. And he actually did something I haven't really seen before, which was put out a statement before the item aired. So he knew what Michael Mora was about to broadcast and put out a statement saying this was clickbait journalism at its worst. And he said it was an insulting question and a vile defamatory allegations. Um, but Michael Mora has uh, stood up to this, made a news point of actually broadcast all of Winston Peters' claims in advance, not having seen the piece, and said, look, this is in the public interest. Uh, fisheries are a public asset, and there's been evidence of, of dumping and misreporting, and if someone is getting in the way of cameras to try and sort that out, which I think is a good policy, then... So I agree with Michael Mora, Mora um, definitely in the public interest, and uh, although it might seem sneaky playing a leaked recording like that, good to get it out in the open, and and find out what's going on. And a text here for you, Colin, if you can answer it in one minute or less, uh, calling you pe- disingenuous oh. about Judith Collins. If the media could follow her into a private meeting with a victim's family, they would. Maybe so, maybe so. So maybe she's saying, um, if, if that's what she's saying, that, look, in these situations, the media are everywhere, and I would then make a decision that, no, we're going to keep them out. Um, but that, 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 to me, is also interesting, if they think that, the media would actually want to intrude on something like that or film it because that should be up to the family. It shouldn't be up to the minister. Um, So maybe it's revealing in that they think the media's tentacles reach everywhere and the minister really has to stand up and keep them at bay. But, uh, yeah, it's still a puzzle to me what she was actually meaning with that. Thanks very much, Colin. That's Colin Peacock with another Midweek Media Watch. Appreciate it. Very interesting. Thank you. No worries.